0: The Old Testament has a whole bunch of kings. You've got Solomon, who's the son of King David, who is like the poster boy king. And on his deathbed, he tells little boy Solomon, do good stuff like your dad. Also, avenge my death. So Solomon prays to God for wisdom, and God's like, that's a dope idea. So Solomon gets really wise and rich, and he writes a book called Proverbs, which is basically like Twitter, but without all the Russian bots. But then, eventually, Solomon does some stuff that's less wise. There's greed and lust for power. He starts worshipping gold cows and that ends badly. (coughs) Then you get his son, Rehoboam, who, again, does the whole greed, lust for power thing. Then because of that, the whole country of Israel splits apart, which is obviously not ideal. He also does the whole gold cows thing again, (coughs) but then a while later, you get Hezekiah and you think, all right. This guy's not so bad. Then you get Josiah, who realises that a lot of the kings have done some really stupid stuff. And we all need to stop with the whole gold cow thing. Leaders provide us with a model, whether as an example or a cautionary tale. So what can we learn from the kings of the Old Testament?
1: Great. what can I add really but uh, we're going to particularly look at Solomon tonight and uh, our kind of overall title will be uh, that sense in which Solomon had this fantastic sense of favour on his life and yet there was a fatal flaw. We can look at both both the strengths and weaknesses, because it helps us to understand even sometimes when we feel things are really going well in life the chance sometimes of how those fatal flaws can come so here 's a little of the story of Solomon and the things we might be able to take from it tonight. Solomon was quite young when he became king and um, Uh, amazing thing at the beginning of his uh, reign where God says to him, um, Solomon, you can ask of me anything you want. Imagine that, eh? And he could have asked for power. He could have asked for the defeat of all his enemies. But the one thing he asked for God is that God may give him a discerning heart to govern his people. We want to think a little bit about uh, that sense of wisdom that comes from God. So hopefully we we'll just put that next slide up. I'm not quite sure what's up at the moment, but um, it's fantastic favor, but a fatal flaw and a heart for God's wisdom. So this is how it all begins. One of the first challenges that uh, Solomon has is often was the case the king was the kind of supreme court of the day. So when situations arose, even sometimes the most domestic type situations, ultimately the king often had to make judgment on it. And everyone was watching him, this young king uh, who's suddenly there with little experience of life and yet having to face. So he's faced the situation where there there are two prostitutes. And these prostitutes have been living in the same house. We're not quite sure it was their place of sex business, as it were, but they both had a baby within three days of each other. So this young baby, and uh, one night they're in the house and... Uh, uh, in fact, the babies are, are with their mother, so each of them, it says, the baby was sort of feeding at the mother's breast, and they fell asleep. And sad as can happen even today, um, somehow the mother rolled over during the night and suffocated the baby, and the baby died. One of those kind of cot deaths that can be really tragic. And uh, in the middle of the night, the mother realizes that her baby has died. She looked across, and her friend in the same house is fast asleep, and the baby's fast asleep as well beside her. So she creeps over and she must be really careful because she doesn't wake the mother up or the baby and she manages to take the live baby from the mother's breast, put a dead baby beside the mother and then end up in her bed again with the other mother's live baby. In the morning, it all blows up. The mum, she wakes up and suddenly realises the baby is dead. She's absolutely traumatised. But then she looks closely at the baby as only a mother could really see and realises... This is not my baby. In fact, that's my baby. And so this almighty row occurs between them. But it's really difficult to be able to decide because no one else, these were just young babies. It wasn't as if they were identical to their mother or anything. It wasn't as if they were living with their family. They were living as prostitutes in this isolated situation. So so no one could tell and even neighbors and people around. Well, however you can decide, and it comes to the king. And here's this moment really early on in uh, Solomon's life where he has to make this decision. I mean, it's a kind of really significant for the rest of the life. Is it this mother's baby or is it this mother's baby? And then Solomon has this moment of amazing wisdom where he says what seems really cruel. He says, Okay, bring me a sword. They bring a sword. And he says, Cut the baby in half. You think, How cruel! The mother, who was the real mother, immediately says, no, 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 whatever happens, don't let that happen. She can have the baby. Let let her have the baby. Whatever happens, don't kill me. The other mother, who's already lost her, think, well, that's fair enough. She says, okay, then we'll have have half each. Solomon looks and says, give to her the baby, the first one. She is the natural mother. Now, in fact, it seems something simple and yet so profound, but this spread like wildfire through all the villages. And t- it was the kind of story you could keep telling around a campfire, you know, and, and everybody was in awe of this sense of, here's this young king with such amazing wisdom, and, and so it developed from there. In fact, he was known as the wisest person who'd ever lived up to that time. And uh, people came from all around the world to hear his wisdom. He says that, uh, and there's a great sense here of that divine wisdom, that insight into life itself, that's interested in the whole of life. He said he studied every plant, every animal his day. He could tell you details that people would wonder about, that the natural world around you. He was a poet, he was creative, he was artistic. He wrote some amazing verses. And it's about somehow when you're living under God's fantastic favor, the whole of life is affected by that. The next of our slides goes on to say that, uh, in fact, uh, this is his prayer, by the way, at the beginning. Give to your servant a discerning heart. And it says that, in fact, Solomon goes on to build a house of prayer. Now, One of the amazing things about wisdom is it's trying to discern God's mind, God's will in situations. And so as well as his wisdom in life, in the situations he faced, there was also a heart to want to constantly be hearing from God. So he builds what became known as Solomon's temple, one of the wonders of the world. You can still see parts of the ruins of it today. These huge stones that they quarried out. They weren't allowed to use any, any tools on the site itself. So they would, they would convey to Jerusalem these huge blocks of stones and built what was Solomon's temple. And as I say, you can still see it today. But above all, he wanted to be a house of prayer. A place where folk would experience God's presence. Where he would come to pray. And there's so many things in, in, in Solomon's life that are marked by that sense of prayer. So he was a man with wisdom and prayer that marked off those things go together and uh, one of the things we've been encouraging across the Woodlands Group of Churches is is the importance of prayer in fact at the beginning of this year some of you may have been here when I last spoke at, uh, at Metro and we were talking about prayer and just some helpful guides to prayer how prayer is part of our rhythm of life our daily way of life it's the way we receive God's wisdom for all life and one of the little things that I gave a little exercise that we just off the cuff had been suggesting during our prayer week as to a way, because lots of people were saying, you know, Rob, I find it difficult to sustain prayer, to really be consistent. You know, I meet somebody and they tell me, I say, oh, i pray for you. And I, I do it for that day, but then I forget. How, how do you remember to pray? I feel, I feel called to a life of prayer and therefore give extended time every day in prayer. And for often to say, well, Rob, how do, you, how do you keep praying for different situations? How do you remember all those people? Well, here's a little hint. So if you were here beginning of the year, I'll test you to see how much you remember of it. I'm just taking an A4 sheet, okay? And what I did with that A4 sheet. How many were here when I mentioned about A4 sheet last time? There's one or two knots, another few there. Okay, so what I suggested was this. You you fold your A4 sheet into four, okay? And what you do is on the first quarter, just write one name or one situation, but you're going to pray. Now, this was during prayer week, so what we encourage is that you pray every day for that week, every day for that person or that situation, Okay? and then on the next quarter you put the days of the week Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday and you put a different name or a different situation against each one of those days now it's not just a question of you know think of a name and stick it down but the very exercise of prayerfully sensing who, who is it that's so significant to me at this time that I pray for them every day who is it I pray for each week and then on the other half of the A4 write the numbers of the month one, two, three, four, up to 28 or 31 if you want to pray for those when there's 31 days in a month. And again, put a different name, a different situation. Now, the remarkable thing is, since doing this, I've had so many people, hundreds of people, in fact, who said to me, Rob, it's transformed my prayer life. Just a very simple thing. And we say, but Rob, when you do all that, there's about 40 people. How much time do you get to? No, no, wait. You only pray for three people each day, but it may be 40 people by the end of the month. But the very exercise of Prayerfully sensing God, who do you want to put on my heart to regularly pray for and consistently pray for, can be really effective. In fact, praying for three people every day—you could do that while you're almost cleaning your teeth, you know—but it's just that sense of consistent prayer. So, just recently over the summer, so I have my little kind of one, my my, my little first quarter is rather grown, so I, I keep my, my diary. So this is my my little. Um, First quarter, of the A4, the folk I pray for every day. And there's quite a lot of them. In fact, in fact I've rather been greedy, and I, I've stretched my, my A4 to become uh, two sides of an A4. But these are the folk situations. So there's a number of people here I pray for every day. There's lots of people around the world I pray for every day. So here I am. Um, it's a Wednesday morning. I'm out with my wife Pam for coffee, and in fact, always I just use opportunities in the day to be able to pray. So I'm sat at this cafe, Pam's gone to the loo, and I'm waiting for the coffees to arrive, and so I pull out my little sheet. This is my little daily one, which I'm going to pray for people. And then I am sat with it, uh, about to pray, and the waitress arrives. She puts the uh, tray on the table, and she looks and she says, "Oh, what's that you're reading? I said, do you really want to know? She said, yes, even more interested now. I said, well, actually, it's a lift of people I, I pray for every day. you pray every day for people? I said, yeah. I said, "Uh, uh, are you got any experience of faith yourself or do you you ever pray? Oh, she said, I was a Catholic, brought up a Catholic, really involved. But that was years ago, she said. Lots of things have happened in life and I've left it all behind now. And then I had an opportunity, amazing opportunity just to share with her how that I've got some really close friends who are Catholic and there were some of the folk who I got to know through a thing called Alpha. In case any of you haven't known of Alpha, it's one of those kind of, of course, you'd run them at the Woodens Group of Churches. The next one is on the 9th of October. It's just an opportunity to explore faith. And I said, there's lots of people who once, as a child, brought up in a Catholic school or went to church, but, but then it all got lapsed and they just wanted to rediscover what it really means to know faith. By now, Pam had arrived back from the loo and the waitress about to move on. I said, you know... What I'll do is I'll add to my list a waitress that I met today giving me my coffee. Oh, she said, would you? She said, I really desperately need prayer for my life. I said, I'd love to be able to pray for you. And just in those moments, it's sort of sowing a seed. How much is prayer part of our daily life? Who do you pray for regularly, consistently? And so even these days, this is a thousand years before Jesus was born, Solomon builds a house of prayer. He wants this to be a place where people will come to and they will discover the presence of God and experience that power of prayer. And so for, Paul, for, for Solomon, there was this sense of, of wisdom and prayer going together. It shaped his life. And as we saw in a little um, few introduction earlier, he wrote these amazing proverbs, just words of wisdom. Uh, there's so many of them, and yet and many of them become almost sayings we use today, but they were remarkable sayings. Just take this one, for instance. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. And what he's saying is if, if, you, if you really want to know God's guidance for your life, God's direction, then first of all, you must be willing to trust him. But you must trust him with all your heart. And so for, for Solomon, this became one of his expressions constantly. Even when he first, God said to him, what do you want me to give to you? He said, God, give to me a discerning heart a heart that's wholly devoted to you, that trusts in you wholly. And it says, don't lean to your own understanding. It doesn't mean we don't use our understanding. It doesn't mean we don't use the insights and experience we've got, but we don't lean on that. We trust in God, don't lean on it, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. And God does that in many different ways. Above all, that's the power of the word of God, the Bible, in guiding us. There's amazing words in Psalm 119. It says, "Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path." And often, when God is guiding us, it's both those things. Sometimes it's just about the next step. It's just a lamp to your feet. You're only just see the next step you're going to take. Other times, it's like full beam on the car, where it, it lights up the whole road ahead. And you're praying about God's purpose, your career, your life partner. It may be those things. And in each of those situations, it's God's word that's a lamp to our feet. Like light to your path. So this morning, I'm praying with somebody after our service this morning. And I prayed for this lady this morning. It's both those things we prayed. So I'm praying for her. She's really challenged about things in her life. And I felt as I'm praying for that this next week is going to be a significant time for you. It's a time when God is going to surprise you, in fact, with things he's going to do in your life. But it's also going to be a time which is going to shape the rest of your life. That's a really significant thing. And as I spoke, I felt a word come into my mind, just a word of scripture, just like God's word, it illuminates it with a path. And I said, I pray, as I pray, I want to pray the scripture over you. It's a, it's a scripture found in Romans fifteen thirteen. It says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace you trust in him, that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. as I prayed that prayer on, it was like full beam coming on. She said, Rob, you know, I've really been desperate wanting a sense of hope. I've lost that sense of hope and purpose. And it was like as if that scripture to her was a key unlocking something. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. That was the fantastic favor that wisdom for life, that understanding. But now comes the fatal flaw. I mean, with somebody like this, who was the wisest person on the face of the earth, who was dedicated to God, his heart wholly committed, trusting in God with all his heart, what, what was it that could come in that could turn that all around? And yet, it's a flaw that is perhaps one of the most common flaws in our lives. Still today, For many people, this has been their fatal flaw. I think of it, even in church life, even among church leaders. So here it comes, the fatal flaw. It says this, it was about a divided heart. Instead of that wholehearted love for God, it says that King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women. So that fatal flaw was about relationships. Is about an attitude towards relationships and particularly towards sexual intimacy in relationships and having multiple partners. Before long, this became such a a significant part of Solomon's life that it, in fact, became a divided heart. God had warned him many times that if, in fact, you take these wives, they will turn your heart from me. Before long, Solomon's heart was turned from God and it became a divided heart. It happens so easily. For all of us, one of the great challenges sometimes is that conflict of heart in relationships. Imagine for many of us here, it's an air of struggle at times. It can become all-pervasive. For Solomon, this man of such wisdom and prayer, yet before long it became an insatiable appetite. I won't tell you how many multiple partners you just wouldn't be able to believe. Hundreds, hundreds of... Uh, And it just became an insatiable appetite that just dominated his life and affected everything in his life, and eventually his family and everything else. And still today, 3,000 years later, it's one of the great challenges we face. We live in a world where there's so many pressures, whether it's pornography, whether it's the whole internet chat rooms, whether it's just the the kind of challenges of a world in which we live and relationships can become so casual. How do we guard from those fatal flaws? And so for Solomon, it was a sense in which before long he'd turned away from God. God says to him time and time again, look, if you follow these other wives ultimately, you'll turn your heart from me. In fact, our next slide speaks about that commitment and that flaw—the fatal flaw of a divided heart. His heart was turned away from the Lord; it became a broken commitment. God had said, um, "Let me just yes, you must not, you must not intermarry with them, because they surely will turn your heart after their gods." God is looking for commitment in relationships. And yet we live in a world where that commitment is becoming increasingly challenging. I imagine here, there'll be a number of people who've been brought up in a broken home where maybe even early in life you had the heartache of your parents breaking up, and, or else friends around you, where eventually it almost becomes that we think this is the norm. Is it possible to sustain a, a really meaningful, happy life, married life? And that becomes a real challenge at times as to, you know, is that really possible? I want to say tonight, I think, I think I've been married more slightly longer than most of you have been alive. And I can genuinely say that in that marriage, it is sweeter today than it was when we first got married. There's a richness and a fullness. There are some things in life that mature with age, a good wine, in fact, the older it is, the fuller it is, and the sweeter it is. It's not just that everything has to get tired and wear out and become, as it were, stale and dry. And, and sometimes almost folk feel, you know, marriage, if you, to stay with the same partner for a whole lifetime. Yeah. God has designed us for commitment in our relationship with him and with one another. Now you might well say, but Rob, what happens when, you know, you mess up in life, or things go wrong, or I mean, maybe even some you say, but Robert, when you say about that shared commitment and what it really means to have a life partner where you share those values, but suppose I. I you know, I had a boyfriend or girlfriend before I became a Christian who wasn't a Christian and I still carry something of the challenge of that. Or, or I got married to someone before I was a Christian. Now I am a Christian. What do I do now? Or, or I'm going out with someone who's not a Christian at the moment but I'm, I'm really believing and praying they will become a Christian. And all those kind of different situations of life that we face. One of the amazing things with God is, is not that he ever gives up on us. We need to realize that Solomon himself was the son of David. David, in fact, committed adultery. Not just adultery, but he tried to cover it up, even with uh, organizing, effectively, the murder of of one of his own people that was one of his leaders. The tragedy of it all, eventually, uh, the person he committed adultery with, Bathsheba, she has a baby, and the baby dies. There's lots of heartache and distress around it all. And eventually, David marries Bathsheba; she becomes his wife. But it's a messed-up situation. And there comes a moment where God speaks prophetically into David's life. In fact, it's a prophet called Nathan who he uses a story to stir David. And it's a story about how there was this king, and he had vast flocks of animals. And a friend came for supper, and the king decided instead of taking one of his animals, there was this person in his kingdom who only had one little lamb that he loved, he even went to bed with his little lamb and looked after it and cared for it all the time. And it was like his, you know, his closest friend, as it were, in life was his little lamb. And the king orders, instead of having one of his flock, he had thousands of them, go and take this man's lamb and slaughter it for supper. When David hears this story, he's absolutely livid and says, show me this man, whoever he is. And Nathan says to him, you're the man. You're the man. You're the one who's taken another man's wife. This man who is serving you on the front line of your battle, and you've taken him. He's taken his wife and committed adultery, and when he hears those words, he's deeply convicted. In fact, it actually records in Psalm 51 how he cries out to God. And he pleads with God, "Oh God, against you, you only have I sinned, Lord. Oh God, wash me clean. And he asks, Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation. And there's a complete change of heart one of the remarkable things in the Christian life it's not just that you know uh, something's happened in our life and is that the end then forever for the rest of our life I've got to carry the scars the wounds or I, 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 I've been I disobeyed God in doing this at that end. no God is always willing to forgive the real challenge is if we're willing to listen to God and to respond to him the challenge that Solomon faced was that when God had said to him in fact that you must not intermarry with them because they surely will turn your hearts after other gods. He just kept on doing it. And eventually, God says, "Okay, Solomon, if that's your attitude, then I will tear the kingdom from you. God gave him so many opportunities. The challenge often in our lives is about that willingness to be beaten, even when we make mistakes or even when we're not too sure about situations, are we open to hear from God? It's about Commitment in relationships, about faithfulness. God means marriage. That's why it's until death do us depart, richer, poorer, sickness, and health. What does it mean to be really committed? You say, but Rob, you don't know. I just saw my parents a really acrimonious relationship, or I just saw it fall apart, Rob. But there's always the potential for God's love to make a difference. There's something amazing about God's love. That record we have in Corinthians 13, that it's a love that keeps no record of wrongs. So many relationships struggle because we don't just keep a record of wrong, we keep a detailed record. And next time there's a problem, I'll remind you, remember you did that before and you said that before and you were doing that before and before long? Why is it to have a relationship where God's love that wipes that slate clean, that is not self-centered and self-seeking but God? And it's that sense of God's love that can make a difference to relationship. Whatever that relationship, there's always that redeeming grace of God, but it's the extent to which we're willing to be open to that. How do you build relationships that last? What does it mean to be committed? You say, but Rob, what about, what about when it's committed relationships and in that committed relationship, maybe a, a person that's been your soulmate, you've lived with, you've shared your life with, you've been one flesh with, and, and then they die. What happens then when you, that's the person you've been committed to? Is it okay then to marry again? And that's why I put this scripture particularly from Corinthians about that broken committed. It says, Particularly that the husband, if a husband dies, that wife is free to marry anyone she wishes. It just puts this one condition. But he must belong to the Lord. You see, marriage is about a commitment of life in which there's a shared values, a shared vision, a shared heart. And it's so important that there is that shared heart in that relationship. That's why I say, what about, Rob, if you're already friendly with someone who's not a Christian, how do you handle that? Or what about if you've already been committed to someone who's not a Christian, even a marriage relationship? But even there, God's grace is amazing how he can redeem those situations. The real challenge is, to what extent am I really open to be obedient to God? This is one of the proverbs. Above all else, guard your heart. For it is the wellspring of life. There's an amazing scripture in Hebrews says, today if you'll hear his voice, don't harden your heart. For Solomon, he hardened his heart. He no longer listened to God. For David, he made mistakes, terrible mistakes, but they didn't become fatal flaws. In fact, even after David has died and scripture records, this was a man after God's heart. He was willing to listen to God, to respond to God. Often it meant humbling himself before God. And for us today, the most important thing for us in our relationships is that we're open to that voice of God. Whatever situation, was, sometimes they can be really scrambled egg situations. Rob, you know, this is somebody I met before, as a Christian, or someone I'm praying about who's not a Christian. But are you open to God's voice in that relationship? It's so easy, because you've been hurt in past relationships, to finally become hardened, bruised, I often tell the story when I was growing up as a little lad, and uh, home for me was South Wales, and um, on my way home from school, I passed my grandfather's house, my Grandad, and uh, I used to always pop in there because he used to make some toasts for me with honey on it and all sorts of stuff. He used to stick on it in those days. Nestle's cream in a tin, I think it was, and all sorts of nuts. I used to sit and Grandad had always had this, even in, so he had this coal fire burning, this Welsh coal. It was one of those kind of black hearths where the kettle was always on the side of it, boiling as it were, ready for a cup of tea. And, and I'd sit on this little mat, just by the grate, as there was a fender around it. I can still picture it now. I was just a little boy and I had my little piece of toast, and Grandad would tell me stories. Now, Grandad was really Old. I thought it was absolutely ancient, uh, and he couldn't hear very well, he couldn't see very well, but boy could he tell stories, and he was in the middle of telling me one of these stories, and I'm sat there on this mat just in front of him, and as he's telling me the story, a red hot coal falls out of the fire, and it lands in the grate just by me, I jump, but Grandad doesn't see it or notice it or even hear it fall there, and he's still telling me the story. And a few minutes later, he notices the coal down there. The redness, had gone, but it must have been red hot. Before I could stop him, he reached down to pick it up. I, I didn't have a chance to stop him, but and he took hold of it and I'm waiting for him to yelp. Instead of that, he just picked it up and put it back on the fire. And I'm just a little boy sat there looking up. A, I don't remember another word of the story. It's all I was absolutely mystified was a granddad. He picked up this red hot coal and just stuck it back on the fire. The next day was a Saturday morning, and I was going in to do granddad's shopping. And he gave me the money for the shopping with the hand he'd picked up the call with. And I can still remember now, feeling his hand as he gave me. I took the money out of his hand, and as I did so, I felt right down his hand and down his fingers. And, and then I realized granddad's fingers, the tops of those fingers were like thick leather. See, granddad had been a carpenter all his life. So often the slip of a chisel, the bang of a hammer, his fingers got so bruised, so cut, so hurt so many times that they become hardened. His skin on the ends of his fingers was like leather. It wasn't the coal that lost its heat. Grandad had lost his sense of feeling. He was hardened. And sometimes in life it happens so easily. We get hurt, particularly in relationships. You've had a broken heart. Someone who you feel, perhaps you felt so much for, and then they've let you down or betrayed you or it's fallen apart. And, you know, next time around, you're a little bit more careful now. You don't open up so quickly and you're much more careful about relationship. Before long, you become more cynical and it's so easy to become more hardened. It's true with God. You felt God didn't answer your prayer. You felt hurt. You felt disappointed. You felt God let you down and you become hardened. Today, if you will hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Guard your heart. It is the wellspring of life. For Solomon, his fatal flaw was a divided heart. Once, he trusted in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your understanding. It was his way of life. He'd direct your path. That was the way he went, that was what guided him. It's a man of prayer constantly open to God to hear God's heart. That's what he prayed himself, give to me a discerning heart, a heart that can discern your purposes. But that conflict of heart and relationships eventually divided his heart. Just as God has said, you will turn your heart from me. It easily happens. For us here tonight, maybe relationships we're in or have been through or hurts we've experienced that now tend to shape our attitude to relationship and to God. What does it mean to be open? Above all, even if you would have come to me tonight and say, Rob, what about this situation? I'm in this relationship. They're not a Christian or I'm just praying I might become a Christian or this or this. I- I'm not going to tell you what to do. But I am going to say to you above all, be open to his voice. For David, even when he'd messed up so much, Yet he was willing. That moment when Nathan spoke that prophetic word, immediately he heard the voice of God. Responded, Restore to me the joy of your yourself. Wash me whiter than snow, Lord. Lord, and something stirred in him that changed it all again. Guard your heart. It is the wellspring of life. Father, I pray here tonight. You know, our relationships, Lord, You know our weaknesses. For some of us, Lord, we may struggle in the area of sexual appetite, pornography, or late-night films, or even internet chat rooms, situations where there have been sometimes cheap thrills, Lord, and so easily we get caught up. Even now, Lord, we're struggling with relationships. Come. Come by your Spirit, Lord. Open our ears, Lord, to hear. Lord, we do want to be wholehearted in our commitment to you. To be willing always to be obedient to you, Lord. To hear your voice. Even here tonight, Lord, for someone particularly here tonight, struggling about decisions, about relationships, sensing that conflict of heart. Lord, help them just to guard their heart. It is the wellspring of life. Speak, Lord, by your Spirit into our lives.
0: In Jesus' name. Amen.